Welcome back to Brojo Online. We've got a very special episode for you today, introducing a brand new friend of mine, Kevin Ayo, known as the Alpha Male Coach. Kevin has mastered cognitive and emotional management to help men overcome the barriers that stop them from being confident and charismatic through mastering their own minds. Kevin and I are meeting for the first time in this podcast interview, and it's kind of amazing how well we click. I'll let the discussion tell you the rest. Enjoy. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Let's kind of start with the assumption that anyone listening or watching to this doesn't know who you are. So I've, I've had a good look through your website. Um, you call yourself a causal coach. Is that your kind of title? Yeah, it's a new, it's a new type of coaching because we're tackling the cause of problems rather than the symptoms of problems, where the symptoms of problems are the manifestations in action. The cause mm. of all problems are thoughts. So we're going after the belief system and looking at that, observing that, rather than just changing behavior. Gotcha. Okay. That's what that means. Cool. I like that. That's very cool. Well, tell us a bit about that work, man. Um, we'll get into how you got into that work. But what's it, what's it like to get coaching with you? What's that process like? What are you trying to achieve with the, the people you work with? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. It's a, it's, it's a difficult one to simplify and, sure. and kind of say succinctly, but, but really as a causal, through causal coaching, the skill sets that you develop are cognitive mastery and emotional ownership. So really what it is, is the process of getting the results you're looking for by observing what your thoughts are, what your beliefs are that are creating your current results and working on changing those through a neutral system rather than trying to stuff positivity on top of what you're already thinking negatively about. Mm. We move through neutral first to develop that cognitive mastery. And then the emotional ownership piece is processing emotion, processing feeling, rather than reacting to feeling, avoiding feeling, or resisting feeling. So there's the processing of, of kind of allowing whatever the cellular vibration that's happening in your body, just kind of letting it be there. And also owning it knowing that you're creating it so that your emotions, your feelings are coming from your thoughts are coming from your beliefs, not from the environment, not from other people or your past or, you know, whatever is happening around you. It's coming from the way you're thinking about what's going on around you. So those are the skill sets and the results of those are, I mean, geez, brother, like future focused thinking, right? You start looking ahead of you instead of behind you. Um, amazing relationships. You start to d determine the relationships that you want by how you think about other people rather than you know, sort of other people determining how you think about them through their behavior. Self-confidence. You and I both as confidence coaches know that the more you can master your mind, the more you can manage what's going on in your brain, the more you can really determine how you feel in situations rather than letting the situation dictate that for you. And then, of course, because it's a causal relationship with the symptom, with the, you know, cause and effect, by managing your mind and developing that cognitive mastery and emotional ownership, you also master your behavior because your thoughts 
and feelings are what drive your behavior. So we get all those results, all those results just from those two skill sets. The process, of course, is difficult, but that's the virtue of it. By virtue, it's, you know, it's difficulty is its virtue because when you have that skill, your life is completely different. And I know that's a question we'll get into, but (laughs) I mean, there is a true paradigm shift. It's a huge gap between where most people are and where they want to be. And that gap is through that, through that skill set. See, I fucking knew I'd like you, you know, when I was reading through your stuff. (laughs) Um, You've got your own words for things that I have my own words for, but we, we've worked on the exact same premise. You know, if your behavior is what creates your life, then your, your thoughts are what creates your behavior, your beliefs are what creates your thoughts. I mean, it's all yours to manage. And, and yeah, I think you and I both agree. Like a lot of people focus on trying to control that external while they're dealing with all those symptoms, as you, as you said without getting back to the the cause and kind of rewriting the script at the bottom so that the stuff at the top comes out right. Um, I love it. I I absolutely love it. There's, you know, you got sort of CBT flavors in there. You got stoicism flavors in there. But, you know, I want to, I think curiosity is driving me. So I just want to jump straight into your backstory. And we're going to get more into, into your work as well later. But obviously, for some reason, you've arrived at this conclusion of how to manage a life. And I'm really keen to hear why you were driven to come to that conclusion. So I want to just open it up to you to answer this however you want, but what is the backstory to this work? What led you here? Yeah, that's another great question because I see your questions here and I love them. I love going into the backstory because it's, um, I guess what it was, brother, was it was a total uh, stripping of identity. Um, and if I had to point to one, like cat, like one, like time, it was a, a change in my relationship. I was in a relationship with a with a woman that I, I cared deeply about. I thought you know she was the one, right? But before that relationship changed, I had left my job. Right, I totally changed my job. I moved out of fitness. Um, I left the country, been living overseas, living in Thailand, living in China, living in Australia. So we just come back. Um, there was no work. There was no, uh, it was nothing. I mean, my mind was in two places. My mind was in a victim self-pity place. Right. And then at the same time, it was that emotional abdication where it's not my fault. I feel this way. It's mm. other somebody else's somebody else is causing me to feel this way. Right. And so with those two sort of like that self pity and that victim, like life is happening to me. Like all of this stuff is happening to me. It's against me. It's, it's uh, like, I'm the victim of, of circumstance of life and the inability to control how I feel. This the constant suffering of everything was happening to me. Right. And in that point, it's like, I, I just, this is not going to work anymore. Right? This is just not going to work anymore for me to be in, at the time, my buddy's spare bedroom in the back of his house, you know, just basically that's where I was living. I had a box of stuff, a backpack, and that was it. And I lived there for, man, in that dark room <laughs> for like eight months. It was, it was crazy. And just in that sort of swell of victim mentality. And I guess what happened was 
I made a, I made a shift from external to internal. I made a shift from what is creating the pain? What is creating the suffering? And when I recognized that what was happening was not what was creating the pain, but it was my constant rumination of this is against me, right? This is happening to me. I was able to get out of it. I was able to make that shift. And it happened almost immediately. Like it happened almost, it kind of popped. And then I became a life coach. <laughs> I became a life I mean, that was it. I chose a life coach. It's like, okay, this works for me, but can I teach it to other people? Can I help other people in the same way that I help myself? And I guess I kind of want to stop there because if I go any further, I think I'm going to be answering some of your other questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, sometimes I get asked a similar question uh, or I get asked a question about sort of when did I realize or have my epiphany or whatever. And mine was actually a series of small events that accumulate. There was no one big wake-up call. It was just kind of little breakthroughs that accumulated over time. But it really sounds like you actually had a big kind of bolt of lightning type uh, realization. Now, I'm, I'm curious to know a bit more about that because there are a lot of people I work with or I'd, love to, I'd like to work with, I guess, or like to help, but they're in their victim place. Their victim place, everything happens to them. You hear the word unfair a lot, you know. Um, and the, the true tragedy, I think, of being in that place is because you have that perspective, you're unable to see that that's what you're doing. You, know, you, know, you can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Even you doing it to yourself is considered something happening to you and it's unfair. I remember I used to blame myself for my own weaknesses as if that was something external happening to me as well. So even if I'm talking about myself, I'm still not taking responsibility. I'm still blaming and, and shifting that that point of uh, power to some other place that doesn't exist. So how, how were you able to break out of that exactly? Like, I mean, I know you didn't want to be where you wanted to be, but uh, where you were, how did you click on to the fact that you were doing it to yourself? How did I click on to the fact? It was, well, I guess I'm going to have to back up a little bit because I have always had, I've always been, well, I have a philosophy background, right? So, uh -huh. My background has been very philosophical, very religious even. Um, I was very religious as a, as a youngster. Um, so I've had a lot of theological, a lot of philosophical. And then I got into science. I got into physics and quantum mechanics and cellular biology. So I, I started to look at uh, neurochemistry, right? And so I had all these I had all this information running around in my brain. I kind of had this, but my brain was just always lying to me, right? My brain was just always kind of telling me, and I was listening to it, and I was engaging with it. And, and, and the more I engaged with it, the more it was, is, this is me, right? This is who I am. I'm mm. listening, I'm engaging, I'm listening to these, the stories that my brain is telling me, I'm believing the stories. So I'm thinking that the stories are real. And it wasn't until I was able to separate from that, was able to separate my circumstances, was able to look at what's happening in, in the real thing, in real time, what is, like the fabric of what we understand unfolding in the moment all the time. You know, that, that constant present moment and how I was choosing to 
think about it. That was a separation. That was the time when I said, okay, this is not, <laughs> my brain is not telling me what it is. My brain is telling me who I am. And when I started to separate that, when I started to separate what is from what my brain was telling me about myself, that's when the big momentous leap came. And I recognized, whoa, like, do I want to keep thinking this about myself? And do I want to keep thinking this about the world? This is so far what it's done for me. But I couldn't do that until I saw the circumstance, until I saw the world for what it is, instead of as a reflection of what my brain, of who my brain was telling me that I was. I do totally. Sense? Yeah, I do. I get it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, and it is a concept that's kind of, it's tough to explain. Um, I, I, I was talking to a couple of clients recently about their identity. You know, there's mm -hmm. usually it actually has a label, a name. I used to call myself the nice guy, you know, um, yeah. or the funny guy sometimes or i'd have other sort of vague sensations of being the guy who has bad luck or well, there's these kind of labels and these identities and and i actually did a similar thing to you which is like well what's happening outside of that like what is actually occurring and especially what if i only looked at what i do and i just measured what i do not what i think what i feel what other people do but what i do and at the time i remember i was just i think i was just trying to look for you know, is there something I haven't tried yet or is there further room to move here? And then when I looked at what I was doing, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, this is terrible behavior. Like, of course, I'm getting all these awful things happen to be like, I can't complain about life until all of this is sorted first, surely. And that was a kind of wake up call for me. So it was kind of similar when I got out of the, I'm an unlucky, nice guy who deserves rewards and isn't getting them. It was more of like, no, I'm a passive, lying, manipulative guy who tries to emotionally like control people so yeah okay so there's still some work i could do before i actually bitch about my circumstances you know <laughs> but it was it was it's tough i think it's really tough people because they don't realize they're actually clinging to that identity they kind of want to be the loser it's really hard for them to to get it it's not that they wanted like desire it but that I don't know. How would you describe it? It's like an attachment or maybe even just a blind spot. It's familiar. Yeah, it's comfortable mm -hmm. because it's familiar. And because it's familiar and there's that comfort there, then the brain and safety and comfort, because the brain rejects any kind of change. It, change is scary. Change is possibly dangerous. So comfort for the brain means safety. And even if that comfort is self destructive it's still familiar <laughs> and because it's familiar you know the brain's like okay we need to stay here so it it does take more than consciousness i would say to to, to make that momentously because consciousness alone is really just listening to the words is really just listening to the sentences but it has to be more than listening to the sentences awareness is the first part but awareness that you are not the words that you chose the words at one point to keep you safe, but are those words still serving you? Are those thoughts still there? Are, they, are, the, are those beliefs still creating what you want them to create? Yeah, there's <laughs> kind of like a skepticism that comes in, eh? Like, what if this isn't true? Or what if this isn't the only version of the truth? Or what if this isn't what it looks like? And, and then there's a classic one. I think it's occurred for both of us, which is you look at your circumstances and go, okay, it's my way working for me. Because if it's clearly not, you're like, well, is there another way? 
you know like it's it's the way i've been because there's an investment problem isn't there i was i was mr nice guy for like 25 years i'd put a lot of effort into it it's like literally it's literally like investing in stocks i'm expecting my big payout and the stocks have just been going steadily down for like at least 10 years of that 25 you know but realizing hey they're going down like this doesn't work this is a shitty investment um what else is there but yeah it was hard for me it was really hard like my beliefs that the way I was was the right way to act, even though I was suffering and nobody else seemed to be massively benefiting from it either. Just kind of nobody was winning from this. I just had this intense belief I'm doing the right thing. I had to overlook a lot of evidence to believe that. I had to overlook how much I was dishonest. I had to look over, overlook how much anxiety I had and how depressing my life was to me and uh, how unsatisfying my social life and sex life was. I had to overlook all of that to keep believing that this is the right way. Do you mind if we explore a little bit of your pain, um, kind of in the build-up? Like, what kind of suffering did you have to endure before this? You know, before the eight months in the dark room. You know, what's what's even I guess even the deeper backstory. What's um, the deeper backstory? Sure. Yeah. What's the build up to this? Well, Dan, I mean, you know, it all comes from childhood, right? I sure. mean, the yeah. beta condition, <laughs> if I, if I mean, to use my terminology, um, and, I, and, I, and I'm not sure if your audience is familiar with my terminology, but I, I use the beta condition as a um, way to describe how the brain creates its version of the world at, as a child. So, you know, the first thing the brain wants to do is it wants to collect knowledge. It wants to understand the external world. It wants to know what's going on outside of itself. And that is what we do in childhood. We kind of like develop this beta condition about we make assumptions about what we make assumptions about other people. We make assumptions about ourselves. And it's not until we're fully formed the prefrontal cortex through, you know, puberty and maybe even later in, into the 20s that we can start to listen to and determine what it is we want to think about the world. So the beta condition is kind of like that. Whatever you made your experiences mean as a, as a child is how you continue to live as an adult. If you choose to stay in comfort, mm. if you choose to stay in familiarity, if you choose discomfort, if you choose growth, if you choose to, to, to push, th to, to change, you know, change your identity, then you can um, become something other than what you decided you wanted when you were a kid. So to come back and answer your question, my beta condition came from a lot of at the, what I thought at the time, what I developed in my brain as a kid was, and even into my twenties and thirties, to be honest with you, was like I told you, a victim mentality of life is happening to me. Um, you know, that the world is unsafe, that other people are not to be trusted, that you need to keep your, you know, hold your, hold your cards close to your chest, right? Never tell anybody everything. You can tell them some stuff, but if you give them the whole truth, they'll know too much about you. So basically there was no vulnerability, right? I was no, not vulnerable at all because by being vulnerable, I thought that I would open myself up to be neglected, right? To be hurt, to be abandoned, sort of like... It was difficult. I had friends, but they weren't friends that I was really connected with, right? They were more like 
yeah, we would hang out, you know, grab beers, but there was never like true vulnerability because I was never like, I mean, I, you, you mentioned it a moment ago. It was like, it was always that sort of, I am not showing up as who I am because I don't know who I am. All I know is who I think I want you to want me to be so that you will accept me and I can accept myself through your acceptance, right? Like my validation is through you. When you validate me <laughs> with acceptance, then all of a sudden I'm validated. And that became like sort of like that victim mentality, right? That sort of self-pity and that emotional abdication where I was not validating myself. I needed somebody else to do it. And it was just crazy, man. Like I lived my life like that. I lived my life like that through women, right? So, um, I defined my masculinity by the quality or even the quantity of women I was with. You know, there was a lot of cheating going on in my past. There was a lot of like, I had multiple girlfriends, but I wouldn't tell them about each other. And that was all because of like that scarcity mentality around women. You know, it was like, I didn't think that I was ever worthy of a woman. So I would have multiple women's in fear that if any one of them left me, <laughs> I would still have another one, right? Like it was always that constant fear of being validated through somebody else or something else. So, I mean, again, to go back and answer your question, I think that it all kind of began with that, um, that beta condition of how I feel comes from other people. If I want to feel loved, I need to be loved by someone else, right? Mm. I, if I want to feel successful, then somebody else needs to tell me that I've done a good job. If I want to feel, you know, confident, then I need somebody to pat me on the back and say, you know, you're the man, right? That is the momentous leap. Like, that's what I mean when I say emotional ownership, because that momentous leap from, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not what other, it's not the circumstance. It's not what other people or other things are doing. It's what you're thinking about what they're doing that's creating that feeling. So that's the big jump. And again, we talked about how I got there, but you know, where it all came from, it was, it was, it was, um, it was my beta condition of neglect and, and abandonment, just abuse. I mean, I could even say abuse. It all depends on how you define abuse, but, um, I would say that there was a lot of physical abuse in the, in the past. And because of that, it was like, yeah, just a lot of lack of trust, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if I can trust these people. So I wouldn't tell them everything and I would lie you know people please to get through and that was suffering i mean if, if if anybody out there in your audience knows what i'm talking about if anybody out there in your audience is a people pleaser is like not showing up the way they want to but they're showing up the way they think other people want them to you know how I'm, how i used to feel because you're constantly in that desperate sort of needy like mr nice guy role right it's like i'm just going to be the nice guy because i'm going to be nice so that other people will like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I know. Fuck yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's another great example of how you and I, we have different terms and we've come to, you know, name processes through our own experience and, and so on, but we're talking about the exact same thing. Uh, I recently, I did a video I called, um, did I call it mental puberty? Something like that. Is this kind of transition? I think you would call the transition from beta to alpha, and I'm really, really keen to hear your definition of alpha soon because that's a quite a loaded term that a lot of people have different meaning behind. And I'm getting a sense of what yours might be, but I want to hear you kind of um, work through it. But 
this idea like we go through a physical puberty whether we want to or not but not everyone goes through a psychological puberty um that kind of become that's much more around a kind of consciously aware decision that needs to be made or multiple decisions probably but yeah i was still emotionally you'd say beta i would say teenager well into my 20s you know i know i know people are still teenagers mentally and they're in their 50s they still react like a teenager they still people please and lie like a teenager they still seek approval like a teenager it works as a teenager that's how you survive the fucking trap you know the the, <laughs> the prison of high school um but it all starts to fall apart as you become an adult and it just doesn't function well in the adult world you can make it work but inside you're just suffering um so let's i want to hear this what you mean by alpha um because I think a lot of people interpret it as being this kind of macho, dominant, Machiavellian, controlling beast. Um, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it means none of that. And I understand where you're coming from because um, both, I guess it really started with the study of wolves, right? Wolf packs and the term alpha male was the sort of, leader of the pack and mm -hmm. unfortunately the research around that was fairly poor <laughs> because they were studying wolves in captivity they weren't studying wild wolves and then later the term got picked up i think by the pickup artist community where like this sort of alpha was like the the most desired male most dominant most confident most attractive whatever subjectivity they wanted to put around that word so I've really kind of taken that I'm, and, and, and my, a lot of my work is to redefine this term for the 21st century because I think that the term is still very valid. It still has a very strong connotation. It still has a very powerful, um, motivating, inspirational uh, force behind it, but it's completely different than the current connotation. And so there really is a, a movement for me to redefine this. And the way I, I'm redefining it is in more of a quantum way. So if we talk about thoughts as particles, then we have the particle thought that is the choice. We have the circumstance, the neutral circumstance. And then we have a thought about, it, and that is a judgment. So that is one thought out of an infinite number of thoughts that we could have in this neutral space, this neutral fabric. And that is the beta condition. That is the lapsing of the wave into the point, into the particle. It's, it's the observation right. of choice. It's the judgment of this is my subjectivity around this objective circumstance. When I talk about the alpha and I mention elevating your alpha, what I'm saying is take that particle and expand it into the wave function of quantum mechanics, which is to say you have a superposition of thoughts in any given moment that you can choose from to create the most desired outcome for you. So in the neutral circumstance, it's the beta that will say, this is what is happening. This is what is, but that's not what is. That's what you're choosing. What is based on your subjectivity in that neutral space. The alpha is saying what is is neutral. What is, is data. I'm just 
collecting data. And I can determine with my alpha state, with my cognition, what I want to think, how I want to feel, and how I want to behave in this moment. And I do that based on the results of my behavior serving me the best. Like what is going to serve me the most? So I guess the I guess what the alpha state is, it is the superposition of all perspectives from all people simultaneously. Cool. I think we're going to have to unpack that a little <laughs> bit. But like I get what you're saying and and you know, there's, uh, I recently I was putting together um, like an online course about frame control, that kind of stuff. And just talking about how, how different people can view a situation. And I absolutely agree with you that that kind of alpha state or what I might call the mature state, it doesn't matter what we call it in a sense. Is first, they take the neutral before they go anywhere with it. They don't start with the, the presupposed subjective thing, even though it might flare up. They can put it aside and go, okay, yeah, that's could be that, but let's have a look. Whereas I, it's so reactive that uh, that beta that you're talking about. I remember being a nice guy. I'd see somebody frown, and I'm already six layers deep into assumptions and other shit about what that frown means without just stopping. Going, actually, it was just eyebrows moving. Let's start with that. It's almost like they were there before the event even happened, just waiting to be lit up. These assumptions, these beliefs, these guesses. Whereas these days, yeah, somebody makes a move in some way. My first reaction is, okay, I don't actually know what that means. I don't even know if that's a relevant thing to focus on. So let's start there. It's almost like Socratic, isn't it? Sort of like we know nothing for sure. So, But then you're, what you're talking about is from there, there's a range of options. Some are very helpful. Some will do well. And some are very harmful. And some are kind of pointless. And your ability to then select the ones that are most helpful for that moment and activate them in some way. Shall we try and put this into some, maybe some real life examples that'll give a sense of, especially that difference. So can you think of some examples, I guess, of a situation and how a beta might respond versus the alpha response? Yes, I can. And, and usually when I, when I do this, it's very broad. Can we do it very broad? Broad's well, fine. <laughs> okay, so we can deal. We can do this with um, time, uh, because a lot of this has to do with the glass is half empty or the glass is half full. Right. Because that's really when it really when we really boil down to it. I mean, there's a couple of things. When we really get down to it, it's all about the relationship with yourself, right? You're never in a relationship with someone else. You're only in a relationship with your thoughts about someone else. So you're really only totally. <laughs> Do you know how I try to explain that to people? That they just don't get up. Like the other person kind of doesn't even really exist externally. They're the just, other person doesn't even exist. You're yeah. at, that's it. The other person is completely neutral. Whatever they say, whatever they do, is completely neutral. You get to determine how you think about it. And that, for all of the guys that come through the relationship course, that saves marriages. That helps. I mean that that changes lives like many lives <laughs> like kids lives right because it's true it's not what your wife is doing it's not what your wife is saying it's the way you're thinking about what she's doing and saying you get to choose right but anyway i want to i want to kind of go back to the other question which was what about the examples like looking at some the example of time, you're talking about right? time so yeah. can, um, 
So with the glass half empty, glass half full, kind of like that either abundance or scarcity model, it's with the neutral circumstance being time. We could be very general about it and say time, or we could be very specific about it and say one hour or one day. But when we talk about a circumstance, we want to talk about something that is something that everyone would agree to. So we would all measure an hour the same. We would all measure the day the same because that is the neutral fact that is out of our control that we all share in agreement of. That's what a circumstance is. And then our thoughts about time, our thoughts about a day or our thoughts about an hour is what determines our results around that. And with that sort of balance or that model, what we look at is if my thought around an hour is that's not enough time, I'm thinking that's not enough. I don't have enough. It's not enough, right? It's that scarcity model. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling anxious. And my actions are going to be to procrastinate, right? I'm feeling stressed. I don't do anything. Maybe I'm going to be buffering a little bit. Maybe I'm going to be doing something else to avoid the feeling of being stressed. And buffering is a term that I use. Maybe you use another term like escaping. Um, buffering is where you take on an activity in order to get a false dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. So it would be like to go and eat sugar, go drink, go watch TV, go mess around with social media, go play video games, right? Like whatever that buffering is, like, I don't want to feel stressed. So I'm going to go get some dopamine, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I just call um, it seeking highs, but yeah. Seeking highs. There we yeah. go. That works. That's a hundred percent. So the actions around that is that my result, what I'm going to prove to myself with those actions is that I am not getting things done. And when I don't get things done, then I'm going to reinforce the belief that I don't have enough time. But with the same circumstance, with the same one hour, if you think that's plenty of time, one hour is plenty of time, I can get all this stuff done, then you feel abundant, you feel excited, you feel motivated, and your actions are to plan, to create, to, to um, you know, use that time efficiently, and the results is you get things done. And when you get things done, you look at that, you reinforce the thought, the belief, that one hour was plenty of time. So it's not about the hour. It's about the way you think about the hour that, that creates your emotion and drives your actions. And it, it will be your actions that determine your results. Now, it's the results that are constantly creating that confirmation bias for our beliefs, which is why we have to start with the story. We have to start with the thought. We have to start with the belief because if we just try to change the action, if we just try to change the symptom, then we might get a different result. But if that result doesn't reinforce the belief we have, then we will self-sabotage that result over time because we will always create the story that we have running in our head. We will always create that result. Even if we willpower ourselves through different actions, we say, I'm going to take a different action. I'm going to force willpower my way through this. That result will not last unless I change the story that created the result in the first place. You're talking essentially, I think, about a sort of a mastery of not just self, but if you're mastering yourself, you are in a sense mastering reality because your reality is self-created. Um, and it does, I, I think in my own journey, it has felt like I often use martial arts analogies. You go through belts and, and you realize, you know, there's always more to learn. And, and just when you think you're the master, you get your ass kicked and you realize you're still a little student. You know, I get that real sense of it. But there's certainly <clears throat> quite a, a philosophical line that you cross 
where you go, even if I don't get it yet or I don't know how to apply it yet or whatever, I'm definitely creating all of this and I accept that. And once you cross that line, you're into that new realm where you can now move up through the belts and keep going forever. But that's, I, you know, I, I, there's different words for a victim and creator, beta and alpha. Everybody's got different terms. But that beta that you describe, if they're always hanging on to the, this is created externally to me, it happens to me. They can never, there's a ceiling that they will always hit. They can never have, um, it's like I see, say, high achieving people pleasers. They're someone I work with a lot. So the people pleasing just happens to also get them a lot of the results they thought they were supposed to get. Lots of money, perhaps success with women, whatever it is. But there's a ceiling of satisfaction that they cannot break through. And yes. that's why it becomes high seeking behaviors. It's you get high. And at this way, I don't think people really click until mid twenties or thirties because it works up into a point and then you can't quite get that high anymore. I remember I used to like an example often is like when I lost my virginity, I was smiling ear to ear for like a whole week. I was so validated, you know, I was just, Oh, finally, you know, I'm not a virgin. All these, all my dreams come true. I mean, you fast forward like 10 years I would have sex with the girl of my dreams and be happy about it for like half an hour before the doubts started creeping back in. You know, I just couldn't get high anymore. You know, something that once had been a dream. So many guys in that beta mindset, they achieve their grandest goals and all they get in return is anxiety, you know, about the next one. And they just, they're stuck now. Um, yeah, brother. Yeah, and you know, the reason yeah. is, is because people think, and this is the beta issue, People think that it is the result that will create the emotion, but it's not. It's the emotion that creates the result. So people think that in order for me to feel successful, I need to make a million dollars. In order for me to feel loved, I need to have someone love me. In order to feel confident, I need to perform at a certain, like whatever that subjective level is that I've created for myself. So I'm like holding back how my, my own experience, holding my, my own experience back until I've achieved this result. But it's only through, <laughs> it's only through having the experience that you get the result. It's so funny. I, 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 I just got a great example from this. Uh, I was recently coaching a guy and he, he started his own business and he had this goal of like being able to work from home on his laptop. And that was like his grandest goal. And then he got there. He like clearly got there. And he said, ah, oh, but it didn't feel as good as I thought it was. So I reset it to making like a hundred K. I'm like, do you not hear yourself? You think the next goal is going to feel better? Really? You know, I remember my old coach talking about moving up the scale in terms of finances. He's like, it's the same problems, just more zeros. It doesn't get right. more satisfying. It's an illusion. It would be if you pushed a button and suddenly had it but you earn your way up to it with all that stress and pressure you put on yourself and the not good enough story and the imposter syndrome just pounding away at you while you're putting on this happy face. By the time you get there, most of the time you're just fucking exhausted and you're wondering why it doesn't feel good. Yeah, that's quite an incredible perspective you have. It's really a reverse of the order. Rather than the outside going into the reward, it's more like that inside going out to the... Uh, well, it's not even that, is it? The reward already happens before... The result, even just being alpha is rewarding, isn't it? 
It really is, brother. And that's, I think that that is the momentous leap where most people are looking externally for something that they can achieve internally. And because they can achieve it internally, there's no longer a sustenance or a need for the external. And because of that, there's so much freedom now to create because you're not desperately out there trying to feel successful or trying to feel loved or feel confident. You create that internally and you already feel that way. And so you've, you're opened up, you're free. And that's then again, this is the alpha state, right? You're open up and free to create whatever you want because you are determining your thoughts rather than in that sort of, this is all happening to me and reacting to your thoughts, listening and engaging with them and reacting to them. So it is, it's, it's, it's a complete reversal. And that, and that's why I call it a momentous leap because it's not like going from Adidas to Nike, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's huge. It's going from thinking that it's, it's, it's the movement from scarcity to abundance, right? It's going from thinking that again, and I said it a moment ago, it's like most people think that in order to be successful, they have to achieve some sort of external result. But the truth is it is through feeling successful that you do achieve the result. You feel the success first. Exactly. You feel and believe in having done so that you don't have to worry about the how-to. Because if you're constantly thinking about the how-to and you believe in the how-to, then when the how-to fails, right, when you don't get the results you expect, then you just quit. So you don't want to put your belief in the how-to symptoms, the actions. You want to put your belief in the having done. And it's already there. You're already successful. You're already feeling it. And so you're already feeling it. It's already there. You already have that feeling. The how-to is I'm already living that life. I'm already that person. It's natural. It's a natural action. I think one of the key things for people listening to take away from that particular point is if you're still waiting to feel good on some future result, then you know exactly where you are right now. That's, that's beta-type thinking. Um, you know, uh, again, this is just a definition or term difference. You know, I talk about integrity and living by core values when that in itself is rewarding. Like I, I often talk about these moments where I've been honest, everybody reacted, you could say reacted negatively to it, if that's your frame. Um, but I was so stoked with myself for having said it, that it, their reaction is irrelevant. If anything, it's kind of, it's just interesting. It's just the show that happens after the event. The reward happened as I did the thing, even slightly before as I knew I was going to. You know, there's these moments of courageous honesty where just as I'm about to speak, I'm like, fuck, I'm the man. You know, like, just because I know it's going to happen. It's basically no, it's already, true. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just know like it's a, I'm stepping up you know, in terms of, let's say I'm confronting someone and I was scared to confront them. And then I see myself doing it. I'm like, just a moment ago in the past, I wasn't sure I could. Now I can see myself doing it. At, at this point, it doesn't matter even what they do now. They could totally disrespect me after this. It's, it's relevant because now here's, here's the, thing. the thing, brother. Go ahead. Well, this is what I, this is what I'm excited about speaking to you in particular, because this term alpha male floats around my audience and in the realm that we work in a lot and it really has that dominant you know misstudied wolves the one that bites all the others and they show their neck and then he goes and fucks all the females it's like that kind of thing 
Whereas the real alpha wolves are the ones who take care of the pack and the ones who provide and lead and they're actually quite giving and compassionate. Uh, they're very, very unlikely to hurt members of the pack unless it's necessary for the good of the pack and so on. The real alphas are quite different to the current connotation, as you said. Because um, the current connotation has a take-all sound to it. The, basically, all the resources go to the alpha. He takes them from everybody else and everybody else suffers. But what you're talking about is this person who is so abundant that all they can do is give. There's nothing to take. They're completely, you know, in the very sort of Taoist way, they've filled their own cup and now they're overflowing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that kind of um, interpretation? Yeah, uh, I, I love you said that because it it's, uh, <laughs> I see that the current, and I don't want to say current because I believe that, my definition is going to be the new current, right? But this right. sort of like the past definition of alpha, I think it's, I think what it is, is it's very rooted in that scarcity mindset. It's very rooted in that, you know, there's not enough. So I need to assert my dominance in order to make sure that I have enough. And then you guys just get the scraps, right? So it's highly competitive. It's highly dominant. It's highly, um, there's a lot of scarcity. There's a lot of, um, there's only a certain amount uh, at the top, and then everybody kind of filters down. If you if you look look at any of that, like uh, sexual market value, sort of like the number system that people use, I guess to say, you know, whether the, I, it's all subjective. So I don't use it myself, but it's kind of like I, if you've ever heard like she's an eight or yeah. you know she's six or whatever, because it's it is it's very scarcity. It's very scarcity driven. Is there's only so many tens, and after that there's only so many nines, right? But and don't get me wrong, like I love to compete because I love the fun of engaging with people, right? And, you know, the thrill of victory and the, you know, sort of the disappointment of defeat. Like I like that. I like that's the human experience. But when you attach your self-worth to it, when you say that the outcome will determine how I feel about myself or what I think about myself, that's where you get in that beta condition. And from the alpha state, one, one thing you just said that I love so much when you said it doesn't matter what other people think, you know, you're saying it doesn't matter how they react to your um, seminar for your speaking. And that's so true, brother, because it doesn't. It, if, somebody, if somebody tells you they love you, it's not about you. And if somebody tells you they hate you, it's not about you. Whatever somebody does or says tells you nothing about you, but it tells you everything about them. Because their behavior is a manifestation of their feeling and their thinking. So you always know that whatever people are, whatever other, it used to be that I would think that other people, what other people are thinking about me was true about me. But now I know this is the alpha state because that's the beta condition, right? The beta condition is I need to get this person to like me because when they like me, then I'm validated through their approval. But the alpha state is... Other people are just, they have nothing to do with me at all, like zero. But they have everything to do with themselves. So no one can ever reject you. No one can ever hurt you. No one can ever disappoint you. No one can ever be disappointed in you. Because whatever somebody is thinking and feeling is only creating a result for them. The same way that whatever we think and feel and then manifest through behavior is only ever going to create a result for us. Other people 
our circumstances completely neutral. Yeah, you and I see so eye to eye on this. Um, that's what I love. I love I love finding people who I'm like, oh shit, they came to the same conclusions. This is why I get so convinced that this kind of philosophical view is the truth is because people who go through a very painful skeptical strip away the bullshit process always end up here with this view and it tells me there's something universal about this that this is it's just simply the kind of the best way to live is to have this perspective and to act on it and you have to act on it for it to be real you know i always think of the film keyboard philosophers who sit around thinking a lot of this stuff but they actually behave in that what you would call quite that beta reactive way so they're they're not actually i guess you'd say embodying it they're just kind of talking the talk um in fact they can you know the funniest thing ever is to go into like a i don't know is that a facebook group about philosophy and see them trying to one-up each other and argue about it. i'm like yeah you clearly don't get it if that's what you're doing if you try to bring the other person down like you don't understand um yeah this is this is really fascinating um it was about about a year before I met my now wife. I realized, look, before I can ever get into a healthy relationship, I have to get to a point where I don't need one. It's the only way. I have to get to a point where my relationship with me is so satisfying that no further relationship is required. That doesn't mean I can't enjoy the company of other people or share my life with them. But I have to get to a point where there isn't a hole to be filled. There isn't an empty parking space, you know. And then right when I crossed that line where I felt it, I'm like, yeah, I could be single forever. I'm cool with that. That's when I met my wife and it all worked out really well, you know, because I, I didn't have anything I needed from her, you know. Yep. If I'd met her any, maybe not any earlier, but certainly like years earlier, um, if we'd gotten together, it would have been a disaster in the long run. It would have been like my other relationships where I just people pleased until they got bored or frustrated or disconnected. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the people you help. I think we work with a lot of similar people, but what are the kind of, what's, I guess, the kind of common profile of, of someone you work with and the common dilemmas that you're helping them through? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, and I'd, I'd love to answer that question because it's, it's also very broad. Um, but sure. I think I, can I just mention something that you just said? Because mm. again, we are so similar, brother. And I love this. And even after this podcast episode, like we gotta, we gotta hang out. We gotta yeah, do yeah, this yeah. again. Cause I gotta tell you, man, like you just said something that is so true. And that's, you know, so many people, they want to change their circumstance because they think by changing their circumstance, they'll get a different result. Right. And so they think that if they're unhappy in a relationship, they should leave the relationship. Like I'm just going to leave this relationship. Or if I'm unhappy in my job, I'm going to quit my job and go get another one because it's the job that's supposed to make me happy or it's the relationship that's supposed to make me happy. But what happens is it's not the relationship and it's not the job and it's not the circumstance. It's how you think. So when people change their job or their relationship or their circumstance, they often find the same result mm. happening over and over and over again because the story that they're telling themselves in their brain is the same. It's always going to be the same regardless of whether you're with Jane or Barbara or Rebecca, right? It doesn't matter who the circumstance is. What matters is how you think about it and how you think about yourself in that relationship. <laughs> and that is always going to be the same unless you look at it, unless you observe it from the alpha state and you start to recognize that, whoa, this is not me. This is what my brain is telling me. <laughs> this is what my brain is telling me to be, but it's not really me. It's just sentences in my head that I've chosen to believe are true. 
and I can not, I can choose other sentences if I want. Um, but I love that. I love that you said that. And, and, and kind of wrapping back, that back into the question that you asked, it's because of that. It's because of the causal coaching. It's because of the cognitive mastery and the emotional ownership that, um, you know, my students, they'll range in, pro, you know, in, in external shifts where they want to make external shifts in either a relationship or a behavior or um, a business. Those are the big three, but it all always, all, those big three, they always come back to the relationship you have with yourself. I mean, it's always the same. It doesn't matter what the external shift is because all problems are thoughts. It doesn't matter what the problem is. It's always a thought. In fact, without thoughts, there would be no problems because there are no problems in the external world. It's all neutral, mm, right? Right. Yes. All of our problems are right here. So there's no problems without thoughts. And so it doesn't matter what the problem is. We always go into cognition. Like we always go to the cause and the cause is always the belief system. It's never what's happening outside of you. It's always what you're thinking about. It's always what you're choosing to believe about the circumstance. That is the problem. So if somebody's struggling with a business, like they're struggling to make money, or they're struggling to break out of their shell, maybe they're fearful of rejection or they're fearful of failure. It's always that thought. It's always what is it that's creating the fear? It's not the circumstance. It's what you're thinking. So we work on a belief system. If it's a relationship, if uh, a student is having a problem in their marriage, it's not the marriage, right? It's the way they're thinking about the marriage or the way they're thinking about their spouse or the way they're thinking about themselves most of the time. It's like all the time. It's like the way you think about yourself in the relationship. And, and when it comes to relationships too, brother, I would say there's probably always a trifecta of thoughts. There's the way you think about yourself in the relationship, the way you think about the other person in the relationship, and then you, the way you think about the relationship itself. And so with those three thoughts sort of integrated, you can be, you know, you can kind of get lost in it. You can really get lost in it. It's like, I don't deserve this relationship. Integrates with this person is better than me. I don't, you know, she's better. It integrates with this relationship is going to fall apart. And all those beliefs are sort of creating a fear or a insecurity that may manifest in multiple ways. So there's the relationship, there's the business, and then of course the behavior. Um, if people, if my students want to stop a behavior that I would say is borderline compulsive, like impulsive, like it's been rewarded so many times mm -hmm. through that dopamine, like through thought action and then, through now desire, like over desire, <laughs> like there's an over desire for sugar or over desire for alcohol or over desire for um, some sort of electronic stimulus, like a video game or a Nintendo or a television or a, I don't know, a Netflix. But because of the over desire, separating that sort of dealing with urges, like dealing with the emotion that you built up. I mean, it's always that dopamine you've built up and you've created a cellular um, sort of a cellular stasis. And it's not a homeostasis, but it's a cellular stasis where now you will feel deprived when you remove that behavior because there's almost like a, a dopamine restriction. You're, you're, you're not supplying your body with the same amount of dopamine that you were before. So I would say those would be the three things that I work with on my most of my students, it's relationships, business, and uh, behavior. And underneath it all, it's just the same issue, right? The relationship with yourself, the mastery of yourself. It is cognitive mastery and emotional ownership. And that's really the thing is like students. And I think 
we as life coaches, confidence coaches understand this is that our students always come to us looking for an external shift, but we know it's always going to come through an internal shift. Yeah, Liam, Mike, the other Brojo guy and I, we often talk about the front door and the back door. So we have to meet them at the front door and go, okay, you want a girlfriend? Let's, let's say that's your problem so we can start talking. By the end of it, that's not what we're talking about because that's not the problem. It never was, never will be. Uh, I love I love the way you put it. Like objectively, there are no problems. We choose to make things problems. I I had a wake up call. I was actually already a coach by this stage, and that's what I mean by I, it wasn't like a black and white shift. What you'd say, I guess, beta to alpha. It's just more like constantly trying to up level, be more alpha than beta. I think there's I'm always on a spectrum of both. I'm trying to dwindle the beta or like, like sort of ex, uh, extrapolate the alpha. I guess you'd say. But I saw uh, it was a speaker. Now, he was a refugee, uh, I think, from Sierra Leone. That's right. Um, And he just had that sort of horrible blood diamonds background, you know, like his family butchered in front of him. And he was like in orphan gangs and the rebels always just constantly seeing dead bodies all the time and, you know, stealing food. It was that kind of life that just makes you go my god i've never actually had problems you know um, right <laughs> and, and he was giving a speech and it, it was kind of it was, it was almost incongruent to look at him and hear his story because he's just this nice kind of polished looking guy soft-spoken smiling I'm like this is a guy who was having like machete fights every other day i don't see it and he was talking about he so he, he immigrated to new zealand and that sort of refugee status thing and, you know, everyone kind of set him up. He was still a teenager at this point. And someone took him to a store to buy a sweater. And to this day, he's still stoked about that. Like, buy, go, the idea of going to a shop and purchasing clothing was just living the dream for him. Where there's other people who would complain that their size wasn't available or the color wasn't right. And I was just looking at his perspective on life. I'm like, that's how he survived all his shit. Because the way he probably can't even explain it in philosophical or cognitive terms. It's just the way he is. You know, possibly so traumatic his child was that this kind of coping mechanism kicked in where he's like, I have to see the world in a certain way. That it wasn't even a cognitive decision. It was just, there's only one way to survive the situation. It's to be very, very fucking philosophical and practical. And he was just like that. And I was like, I was looking at this audience, sea of faces in front of him all nodding along and, you know, clapping and smiling, some of them crying. I thought, objectively speaking, none of them have been through as much pain as he has. And yet all of them suffer more than he does. And I was just watching that going, this is interesting. I was like, I can clearly see it. I knew I was right about that. I knew that everybody in this audience, all these university students, most of them middle class, white, decent, you know, upbringing, all the stuff, maybe bits of neglect from daddy and all the stuff that we have to go through. None of them had seen their families butchered. None of them had been, you know, raped every other day or had to fight for their lives every other day. None of them had been through that. And yet all of them have a worse existence than he does. And I was like, okay, there's a lesson in there somewhere. This is... My my idea of what reality is shifted that day. I was like, this isn't about what happens to you. It can't be. There's, I'm, I'm seeing proof that it can't be. 
you know. Um, anyway, that just popped into my head while you're talking. No, it's huge, and that's huge because it's it, the Sierra Leone is a, is a great example with the blood diamond with the conflicts there because of the atrocities. You know, we hear the same stories from Holocaust survivors and how they made it through those concentration camps. You know, with mm. all, all the things that happened there, it's like it's a mindset. They just had to keep thinking and feeling and staying positive. You know, creating relationships and believing in hope and it's it's it is it's so interesting because when you think about suffering when you think about really what suffering is it's a feeling it's always a feeling and you're right like if you when you the vibrations in ourselves you know when we think about suffering when we think about shame when we think about guilt when we think about fear when we think about um whatever these negative emotions frustration anger boredom rage and as human beings, that's kind of where we're all, where we can all find unity. Because we all have that same experience, we all have that same emotional experience. And even though we've been through different things, the range of emotion is going to be the same. So when you say you're afraid, whatever it is that you're afraid of, right? Maybe it's you're afraid of these rebel gangs coming in and raping your sister and killing your parents and you know taking you and having you putting you in an army where you have to kill people and all that that that's fearful you you create fear but fear for someone else in a in a different circumstance can be just as high based on how you create it with your brain the 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 neurochemicals that you create with your brain is what causes the fear right so it is it's very interesting for you to say that and for you to share that story because I'm sure that I'm sure this guy was afraid. I'm sure he felt fear at times. I'm sure he went through the whole range of the human experience that we all go through. But when we listen to that story and we hear about this in our minds, we usually think, well, he has had it so much worse, right? But I think the suffering and maybe this ties in back to what you were thinking. I think the suffering really has nothing to do with the circumstance, right? It has, yeah. to, it has to do with the experience of the circumstance that we create with our thoughts. We create with our brain. Exactly. I think somewhere there's somebody who's reading an email and panicking about it and having the same visceral fear reaction that this guy's had with bullets flying over his head. Exactly. And they are equally suffering. Uh, well, there's an equal amount of pain. Um, I often think of that idea. It isn't even the emotion that hurts us. There isn't really even negative emotions, but there are negative reactions to emotion. There are negative stories about emotion. Like I, from, from my, almost my entire early life, I thought anger is bad, wrong, painful, suffering. Other people being angry made me extremely uncomfortable. Me being angry was extremely uncomfortable. I choke up in confrontations. Violence scared the shit out of me. Um, so anger was just always this thing that, like, it was a mistake. It was a failure to get angry. Conflict avoiding, right? Right, exactly. And then I don't know how the transition happened, but one day I noticed that anger allowed me to stand up for myself. And I was like, huh, it is actually the same thing, but I, I sort of, I feel something about the anger as the anger is occurring. There's another, I don't even think you can call it emotion, a deeper sensation or feeling. I often talk about confidence. Confidence is something that can occur while you're having any emotion. It's deeper yeah. than that. So can shame. 
shame i can be ashamed of myself through all emotions or i can be totally okay with them as they happen the emotions themselves are neutral they're just yes. physical sensations chemicals running through the body but let's say i say i shouldn't be angry if i tell myself that story now i'm overcome with shame or regret or i i often talk about like square root um you know if you get anxious about being anxious you know anxiety squared or <laughs> depressed about being depressed you know you get that kind of double up yeah anyway we yeah, have really fascinating stuff man and uh i think this is particularly relevant right now i i yeah. wanted to not talk about covid19 and all that stuff because everyone's talking about it um but right now a lot of people are in self-isolation which means they have to be with themselves for an extended period of time. And if that relationship's not good, they're going to know about it. It's basically, it's like being in an abusive relationship. I remember there'd be times where I was stuck at home for a long time and I felt like I was being bullied. It's just me, you know, just me and the voices in my head treating me like shit. Um, nowadays I could be alone for a year and I'm okay. Hanging out with me, you know, um, I, I feel for people right now. There are people who are not ready to be isolated by themselves philosophically speaking they are going to suffer if there's no distractions nobody else to validate them and they just have to hear the own voice in the head any advice for people who are in that situation right now and they're basically stuck in their head with someone they don't like yeah it is um stuck in their head well i think it's got to be more than i think it's <laughs> you really got to go deeper than that because if you are still engaging with the thoughts, for example, um, if you're thinking I'm lonely, mm. or if you're thinking I'm alone, right, and, and you're feeling lonely, then it's interesting because most people won't do anything to change that emotion. Like when most people feel lonely, they don't go out and try to engage with someone. They just sit in their loneliness. And the reason is, is not, is not because they're feeling lonely, lacking other people, but it's because they're feeling lonely through not having a relationship with themselves. Couldn't agree more. So kind of understanding that first, like understanding that you can have a relationship with yourself, that alone will blow people's minds. Like they, most people think they have to be in a relationship with the other. Like I have to be in a relationship with another person or another thing. I'm in a relationship with um, my computer. I'm in a relationship with this glass of water. I'm in a relationship with you but they don't really know that they can be in a relationship with themselves. And as I said before, we're never in a relationship with people or things, right? <laughs> we're only ever in a relationship with our thoughts about people or things. So the relationship we have with our, ourself is really just the thoughts we have about ourselves. And because people don't know that they can have that relationship, they think that the thoughts they have about their self is, are just, is just true. That they're not choosing to think that, that that's just the truth. That's just the way it is, that they have no control over changing that. And so I would give two pieces of advice. The first one would be that, and this goes for everybody around the world. And this is a big, bold statement. I'm putting it out on your podcast, brother. Go for it. This is happening for us. This is happening for human beings. Circumstances, the present moment, what is unfolding in front of us is perfect, is always perfect. It's always given to us, for us to experience and create, a, create emotion and opportunity for the future. 
it's never happening against us. There's nothing out there trying to stop humanity or trying to harm the human race or the human species. It's all happening for us. So that's number one. Like this is not, it's, it's a neutral thing, right? It's neutral. <laughs> it's it, we put it in the sea line, right? Because we don't have, because everybody's thinking differently about it, right? There's nothing that we're all kind of on the same with. So that would be the first thing. The first thing would be like, if this in the sea line is a neutral thing, you can choose to believe that it's happening for you and find the opportunity to grow from it and create value for others from it as well. But the other thing would be that because you are, you have this time to be by yourself, to be with yourself, right? To recognize that the sentences in your head is not who you are to realize to recognize to listen to but not engage with your brain to start to believe that your brain is lying to you and mm. that you can choose to direct your brain in a way that's going to serve your best self if feeling lonely is serving you then feel it and i think that goes back to what you were saying before is there is no negative emotion Human, the, the human experience has to be a balance of 50 50 of, of what we would call comfortable emotion and uncomfortable emotion because we can't have comfortable emotion without uncomfortable emotion. Like happiness is meaningless without sadness, right? We have to have that. So there has to be that balance. We define it in terms of positive and negative, but truly it is also neutral because it's just cellular vibration. The, the chemical messengers of emotion that go from our brain into our body and interact with our cells, they're just creating a, a, a chemical change. It's just a, it's just a chemical reaction. So that knowledge, knowing that it's completely neutral, that everything you're feeling is just your cells going through a physiological adaptation, that can help, but certainly separating your alpha, like elevating your alpha and separating who you are, the essence of being from the story that you're telling yourself about yourself. Because until you can separate those, your, your truth, your essence, your being from that story, before you, you have to do that before you can change the story. You can't change the story if you still believe it. <laughs> you have to separate yourself from it first. You have to move to neutral first. So it's, it, would be to, it would be to become aware but not engage with the brain. And that was a long answer for a short. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But it, it is, you know, it's not something that people just hear us uh, uh, quotable and just go, okay, I got it now and completely transition. Or maybe some people at the right time. But for a lot of people, what you're talking about is actually a piece of work that needs to be done. And there's going to be resistance to doing that work. And, you know, you and I have both sought out support for ourselves to do this work. We, we read, we get coaching, we, we allow people to help us to further define this, especially once we start looking for it. You know, I think the best way that you put it is realize that your brain can lie to you. A lot of people just don't understand that their thoughts can be absolutely untrue. They can be a very inaccurate uh, description of what's happening. Like. I think people treat their thoughts like a memo from reality. Like this is what's happening. You just go, okay, got it. Guess, you know, you can see that in, in what I call mind reading. Someone frowns and I go, oh, they're bored with what I'm saying. As if that's 
a hundred percent guaranteed truth. Like no further need to fucking explore that. Like I don't need to ask him if he's bored. I've already received all the evidence I'm ever going to need to know that I'm a terrible person now. So that's done. People, you know, and I used to think like that and people think like that. I've worked with a lot of people who have um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And they're essentially their, their key issue is they really, really believe their thoughts. And so they get a negative thought, you know, some of them have horrific thoughts. My mum's going to die. And this thought just pounds in their head. And they're like, fuck, how do I protect her? And they start doing these rituals, you know, play with the light switch. If I do it 20 times, mum will be safe. Everybody's got their version of that. You know, um, my wife and I were just talking about the kind of the rules that she's picked up from her culture. You know, so you can't talk about something or otherwise you'll jinx it and it can't happen and it can't come true. I'm like, how, how did you come to believe that? There's there's no relationship between those two things. If that thing comes true or not, it's going to have nothing to do with you talking about it. In fact, if you don't talk about it, it's kind of probably less likely to happen. But we've all got that kind of thing, you know? Um, I know this is going to sound a bit cheesy, but I absolutely believe this. I think if anybody right now is in a lonely situation and they can't manage that, they should be getting in touch with you. Because essentially, if there was ever a time to work on this, relationship with self issue you being stuck home alone by yourself is the time where nobody else can actually interfere and boost your dopamine and kind of into like i remember i'd be trying to work on this stuff someone would validate me and i'd kind of go backwards because it slipped me back into the old pathways and i had to actually like get away from that i'd be like stop don't give me any fucking compliments don't tell me i'm a good person nothing because i need to find out my own way of doing it so just leave me alone um, people, yeah, like you said, this is happening for us. So anybody needs to work on this stuff, you've been given the perfect opportunity. This is the time. Absolutely. This is the time. Absolutely. Yeah, because this, and that's how we do it. It, it is. It's, it's looking at what your brain is telling you. That's what it is. It's looking at the, and I, and I do say lies because for most people, they are not in mastery of their brain. They're, they're kind of, and, what did you say? They're kind of in, uh, they're using their thoughts as validating their circumstance, right? It's kind of like, yeah, this is actually what's happening. And with other people, you know, that's the big thing too, with other people, you know, sort of giving you that pat on the back, right? Like good job. It can feel like you've done a good job, but the truth is (laughs) what other people say has nothing to do with you. It only has to do with them. So when we're looking at that, when we're experiencing that, and, and it's so, it is, it's, it's very, it's not, it's, it's simple, but it's complex. It's a paradox. It's a paradox when you're looking at it from a, from a beta condition perspective. And I want to say that almost hesitantly because I don't want to like say that the beta condition is bad. I want to be very clear that the beta condition is not bad. The beta condition has is the protector. The beta condition is a safety mechanism. The beta condition is like that. Um, it's, 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 um, again, it's like our childhood sort of, it's like our safety blanket. I don't know if you ever had a safety blanket. I had a safety blanket, right? Like I, I love this thing. I had it for a long time. I, I think it was, I was six or seven years old. I carried this thing around. It was like yellow and soft. And I had this thing for a long time. Finally, somebody, one of my parents, I can't remember who it was, but said I had to get rid of it. Devastated, right? It's like, this is my security. It's kind of the same way when we're in that 
beta condition. We feel safe. We feel familiar. We feel comfortable. And it's recognizing the truth that helps make the shift from, it helps make what is uncomfortable, comfortable. It helps you become comfortable with being uncomfortable because you recognize that the discomfort is self-created. <laughs> it's very interesting, Dan. It's like, like talking about it is never enough because when you explain it, well, it's the universal truth, right? For, for, for all, any of your listeners to listen to what I'm saying, what I'm saying is neutral. It's only going to matter based on what they make it mean to them. So to explain anything, all of our words, all of our language is always filtered through circumstance. It's always filtered through our thought. And because of that, really the only way to help anyone help themselves is to show them. You can't really explain it. It has to be shown. It has to be demonstrated. It's like you have to go through the process, right? You have to go through this process to, sh to, to prove to yourself, sort of like exception, right? Like you have to come up with the thought that you believe because if I tell you, then your brain is just going to tell you, oh, well, just, well, Kevin said that. Like that's what Kevin believes, right? You have to believe it in yourself. So it's almost like inception. It's almost like going in and tricking your brain into believing what it doesn't want to believe, but what you want it to believe so that it serves your creation, so it serves your life. Yeah, I mean, I myself, <laughs> when I was first introduced to similar ideas, I, like, I felt like it made sense or it was a good thing to believe. I'd even like spelt it to others and kind of get validation. Look at how enlightened I am or something. And then there's this moment where you distinctly live by it. It's, you see it in your behavior, your, your thoughts and your beliefs align with the behavior. You, you just get this moment. People call it alignment. I call it integrity where you go like, oh, that's it. And you'd struggle to even put it into words in a way that somebody would get because they, they have to have the visceral experience of doing it. It's like a, a common example I use is there's the old cliche about honesty is the best policy. A lot of people will nod their head uh, as if that's what they live when they clearly don't, even though they tell themselves they do, which is just another lie. And then there's this one moment where you just – you do honesty just to be honest. You don't do it for any further gain. You don't do it for any validation. You just do it to satisfy yourself that you're living the way you know you should have been all along and that you wished other people would and so on. And you have this moment where it just all lines up. And then you go, oh, okay, now I get it. That's what that means. And you can't tell someone that in a way that they'll go okay sweet i got it you might inspire them or get them excited about it but there's this line that they just they have to cross i think it was say jim Rohn. somebody said like no one can do your push-ups for you oh, something, yeah. something like that yep. yeah 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 something like that yeah um and that's that's a a huge statement it's not just a little quote that's that's what we're talking about here. But I really like the idea of, you know, people working with you because, I mean, I needed help with this. 
I, I read Marcus Aurelius. I had coaches and I went out and did experiments and I needed people to guide me on those. I had friends who validated my other way of living. So I needed counter kind of points. People go, actually, I don't believe that. You know, I don't agree with that. I often think coaching is, I, I often call it just, it's just calling out bullshit. That's all I really do as a coach. You know, when all of their <laughs> friends and family agree with them, I go, I don't explain that to me, prove it to me. And they can't. Yeah. I love that. I love that because that that's the truth, brother, right? Like that's the truth because, and, and again, that's, that's why I think that you and I are, are very similar in our practice and very similar in our perception because friends want to jump in the pool of misery with you, right? Friends just want to agree with you. Friends just want to say that you're right. Whatever you're feeling, they just want to validate that feeling and tell you, yes, you should be feeling that. What that person did was messed up and you should be angry, right? But what we do as coaches is we kind of like, we kind of like poke the bear. It's like, yeah, right. no, it's like, wait a second. Why, why are you choosing to feel that? How is that serving you? Like, what are you thinking about that? Here's what's happening. Here's what is, and here's what you're thinking about what is you're creating that. And is that what you want to create for yourself? Do you want to feel this way? Because you don't have to, it's not coming from this. It's coming from this. And so we, that's what we do, right? It's like, because that's the alpha state. They have their beta conditioned position. They have observed the neutral circumstance. And in that observation, so, so quantum mechanics says, in that observation, they've collapsed the wave and chosen a position. They've got a judgment. And now they think that judgment is true. And they're running that as truth. And our job is kind of like, wait a second, let's, let's separate that position, that judgment, from what is actually happening so that now you can expand that back into a wave function and choose another position that might serve you better. Exactly. You know, I had, um, I was reading the, the normal Mr. Nice guy book and he makes a kind of bold statement, which is you can have two unhealthy people in a relationship and two healthy, but you'll never have one of each. And I thought, I know exactly what he means. And he's fucking exactly right. Mm -hmm. uh, healthy and unhealthy is quite like provocative terms, but I think if you said beta and alpha and you talked more than relationship, but friendships and collaborations of all kinds, you know, I remember back in my pickup days, I'd do something that deep down I felt guilt about, uh, trick a woman into sleeping with me or cheat or something. And I'd have people patting me on the back for doing it and saying, well done. And uh, laughing, you know, you got it, whatever. And I'd be going along with them, and we're all in that sort of vibe together. But some part of me was just like, bro, that was fucked up. And that part was always sort of chewing away at me. And, you know, using like your terminology, I think there's, I have a theory, I hope it's true, where everybody's sitting in that beta space and they've gone past the point where it's helpful and it's now into that unhelpful, like you've outgrown it, but you're still using it thing. Another voice starts speaking up a little bit louder, like this isn't working, that's not right, that wasn't a cool thing to do, you wouldn't like it if someone else did that. Are you sure that that's what really happened? For me, it started as a whisper, but it was just these little senses of kind of guilt or wrongness about things that everybody around me is fucking clapping their hands about. But some part of me knew better. 
it's just like no no we 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 don't do that anymore or we shouldn't do that um so I, yeah i i just sort of want to put it out there i think there'll be some people listening where even every even though everyone around them's validating the way they're living they have their doubts that something doesn't feel right it's not as satisfying as it should be it's more miserable than it should be they're having far too much anxiety and depression for the kind of life that they've got it doesn't line up doesn't make sense and i think they need to be listening to what you're saying is they've picked a position or they so often pick these positions that they think is the only position it's just the truth and really it's one from a wave that they've locked in and it's not helpful it's not helping them and they're surrounded by people who also pick that position so it seems validated it seems like they've chosen the right thing everyone else believes it but what if everyone's wrong what if your brain's wrong and everybody else is wrong about that or at least maybe wrong's not the right word um but unhelpful or less helpful than other options available however you want to frame it i guess this is definitely not the last time you and i will talk um I, I I believe that. <laughs> yeah, um, but I do. I don't want to keep going too long today, just to to give people a chance to listen to the whole thing. So let's now talk about if someone does want to work with you, um, how should they get in touch with you, or what kind of stuff from you would you like them to check out? Yeah, that's um. So I got a lot of different programs, but I think the best place to go is to the podcast and to the website. So the podcast is the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. Um, I've been doing it now for over a year. I think I've got up to 70, maybe close to 80 episodes. Um, so we're doing it over a year. It's great. Lots of audience. And um, that podcast, you know, I don't have any guests. It's, it's mostly 20 to 30 minutes of content. And what I try to do is teach and maybe provide some sort of instruction, but it, it's all monologue, right? It's all sort of, this is concept. This is complex concept broken into maybe more simply understood parts. The real value of change, as we talked about this entire conversation, is through showing, is through guiding, is through that sort of application of a process and so to go to my website, you can uh, find several things there. You're going to find a free 45-minute consultation call, which I've been offering since the very beginning. Um, and I'll explain that. I'm going to come back to that because I also have a book. I've written a book, um, which you can get on Amazon, Kindle, um, Universal Truth. There is courses you can take that are with coaching or without coaching. So without coaching, it's a standalone sort of eight module course with coaching we go through each module and we apply the worksheets and the and the uh, instruction there the program that i'm probably most excited about is spartan academy academy for cognitive mastery and um, developing cognitive mastery and emotional ownership because it's a curriculum it's a real academy it's a real school for learning this skill set and it's so close to a school. The only thing I don't offer is accreditation, right? <laughs> You're not going to get college credits for this. And I don't do any testing. Like I don't have any quizzes or tests. There's none of that. But the entire process is very scholastic. Every month we cover a new topic. All the topics, you know, there's self-confidence, there's relationships, there's um, 
30-day goal. There's believing new things, um, the power of emotion. So every month there's a different topic and every month you get a workbook. So you get a sort of a textbook that has daily work in it. And along with that, every week, all of my students have an opportunity to sign up for one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. So it's kind of like that office hours where you get with the teacher and sort of go over the, anything you're having difficulty with. And it's a 12-month course. So there's 12 different topics that we go through throughout the course of the year. It's designed so that you can do it for more than a year because you're constantly growing. It's not a circle. It's a spiral, right? You're not coming back to where you were when you started. You're constantly developing and getting better. So even after one year, you can continue with the academy and take that second year, which will be different than the first year, because even though the content is similar, you're now a new person than you were before. And you continue to make that growth. So that's what I'm most excited about. And what I love about the academy is that these guys make such huge, the learning curve is very fast, right? Because once you have, once you can see the universal truth, once you can see circumstances as neutral, there's like, that's like 80%. That's a huge mm. leap in understanding what it is that we're presented with in sort of constant flux, right? And sort of that constant kaleidoscope of perfection that we call life. And when you can see it for its neutrality, when you can see it for its factual basis, when you can see it for what it is and separate, you know, what, who you are from it, that takes people to that next to that next level completely but there's still more right it's not just having that separation now it's going to work in creation it's like that that first 80 percent is going from suffering to to good and then that next 20 percent is going from good to limitless mm. so that first piece is fairly quick and what i love about it is with this whole thing going on globally this this covid thing it's like, my guys are positive. Like they're looking for opportunity. They're looking for ways to come out on top where you can see, you can hear in the news, like there's so much beta condition out there. There's so much fear. There's so much scarcity. There's so much, you know, flee for safety. And what I love about my students, what I love about my guys is that they're just like, they're all in it. You know, they're all positive. They're all in it. They're all looking for, you know, this is where, where can we make this work? This is happening for us. This is happening as an opportunity. And there, so so I really, I'm, I'm very proud of this program, as you can tell. I'm very proud of this program. Um, but with the 45 minute con, uh, free consultation call, the reason why I do that and why I continue to do that is because causal coaching is so new. Because I know that people know what life coaching is. Like I know that life coaching has been around a really long time, but most of life coaching has to do with is action based. Hmm. Like let's work on changing your behavior. And that ha that can be effective, but it's rarely permanent just due to the, the story. <laughs> and, and this is an example. Like I used to be in the fitness community, right? I, I ran a gym for eight years and I opened up gyms in Thailand. I opened up gyms in China. So I, I mean, I've been around fitness for a very long time. And when it comes to fitness, you know, a lot of people want to do challenges, like, let me do a 30 day, no sugar challenge, or let me do a 30 day diet and like see what I can do. And most of the time the actions would change. Like they would, a lot of people would give up, right? A lot of people would quit very, you know, maybe a week or two in, but even the people that made it 30 days through, right? 
like that had that willpower and made that commitment. After the 30 days, it was like, sweet, I'm done. I can go back to my former lifestyle, right? And so that's the way a lot of coaches are. A lot of coaches are, let's look at what you're doing and let's change what you're doing. But what causal coaching is, is let's look at what you're thinking. Let's look at what you believe and what those beliefs are creating in terms of feeling. And let's change how you feel. Because when, you, when we stop the suffering, we open you up to being able to take actions that are natural and, you know, sort of effortless. So the causal coaching being new, going to the cognition, going to the brain and looking at separating what the brain is telling you from what's actually happening because it's so new, because it's so like cutting edge and innovative. I really want to continue to offer free consultations to people so that they can experience this for themselves. They can really like, whoa, like experience the mind blowing recognition of, the world isn't as they see it. The world is as they think it. Excellent. I mean, what have they got to lose? But give that a go. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I love the Spartan. I mean, if you're locked in at home, that Spartan Academy, you know, to make the most of a situation that a lot of people are viewing as a negative situation, as a helpless or powerless situation. Uh, like you, a lot of the people that I that I know and work with who are in more of that sort of alpha perspective this isn't even a negative blip on the radar it's just a shift like okay we're going to try some other stuff now whereas other people are sort of like oh my god you know out panicking and buying toilet paper like dude this that's a very what would you call it like the scarcity mindset you can see it actually the way that they're fully demonstrating what that looks like it means stocking up on toilet paper while other people are going hey who needs some help with their shopping you know, right. it's huge difference in perspective. One is like, hey, here's an opportunity to connect better with my grandmother or to help some people out or just get to work on myself a bit while others are going, fuck, what am I going to do? Oh, my God. Um, right. And even, even with situation. that, though, it is the same situation. And that's a beautiful way of looking at the universal truth. But it, it, even people that are in fear, there's nothing wrong with that hmm. because that's the way that's the way our brains are. Like our brains are made, our brains have evolved, either evolved or designed, <laughs> depending on what you believe, right? Our brains are wired to look for danger because that's how we survive, right? Like the, the humans that looked for danger and stayed away from danger, they passed their genes on. The humans that didn't look for danger, they, they didn't make it, right? <laughs> so our brains are wired to look for danger. So even the people that are freaking out, even the people that are afraid, it just means that their brains are functioning, right? It means that there's nothing wrong with them. It means they're 100% human. What's happening is that they're not in control of their brain. Their brain is in control of them. That's what's happening. And so as their brain is driving that fear and that scarcity, they're just sort of in that emotion and reacting to those feelings. So again, there's no blame to any behavior. When we see behavior, it's neutral. We don't say that's bad, right? Or that's good. We just say that is coming from this cogno-emotive state. This behavior is coming from a scarcity mindset and a fear emotion. Nothing wrong with it. It's just what's happening in that human's cogno-emotive state. Couldn't agree more. And, <laughs> and that's essentially what it comes down to. I'd like to kind of end on that and leave people with that kind of thought relating to what's happening in the world today. 
you kind of choose. You're choosing either to be the panicking, hoarding, fear place person. Or you can choose to be the person who leverages this into an opportunity and you know, the kind of person that later on will be like, I glad, I'm glad that happened. Um, yeah, and it's totally cool to choose to be calm, right? Even though the collective, even though the media, right? Even though everybody seems to want to tell you to be afraid, it's totally okay to choose to be calm. You don't have to go along with the circumstance, other people. One of the things that I noticed uh, getting into stoicism was, you know, that perspective, that stoicism really has that responsible ownership perspective and very much aligns with what we've been talking about today of, you know, what happens to you is neutral. It's what happens next that makes the difference. You know, that's all internal words to that effect. Um, you know, what I see with what's happened, as I think you mentioned just before, is how many people aren't there. How many people are, are reacting to this in a way that's really quite miserable for them personally. For them. Um, and that's why you and I just, we have to do this work. We were rescued in some way, some form, somehow, and now we're helping others to do the same. Um, and we're not better or wiser or in any way more talented than other people. I think if anything, we were maybe lucky to get hit by the lightning or have the right amount of crises and epiphanies happen to kind of realize what's going on. I often, like there's a friend of mine, well, no, a friend of mine, his friend, um, he died at quite a young age. He died in like his thirties, um, from poor health. And he was very, he was very spoiled as a child. He basically, no want went unanswered. His parents gave him everything all the time, even into his twenties and thirties. You know, mum still washing his clothes, making his lunch for him and stuff. He never had to do anything. And I think the word spoiled was just so perfect because it was, it ruined him. The absolute absence of responsibility. The idea that the world comes to him and provides to him and he just sits back passively led him to be basically an alcoholic who binged on fatty foods and stuff. And his death was this kind of inevitable tragedy that really stemmed from the kind of mindset. He was an extreme example of the suffering of never never transitioning out of the beta. Now, there are many people alive today who haven't gone to that level of suffering, I guess, uh, physically, but they're miserable, and they need to take this seriously. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll come back to it. You and I are going to talk about this more for sure. Um, yeah, and we have gone. I mean, this is almost two hours. I love it. I got to tell you, I <laughs> love it. it's been an amazing conversation, brother. Um, but yeah, you know, the manifestations that we see, that's the thing is like, we never really know because the manifestation is neutral, right? The actions that we see in people are going to be neutral. Then we get to choose the way we want to think about it. But we never really know what the emotion that's driving that action is because it could be multiple different emotions. For example, the same action could come from confidence or from desperation right neediness it's not about what is being done it's the state in which it's being done and so yeah like <laughs> what we see in people we see people do we never know what they're thinking 
we only know what we're thinking and we're only using that as we're only using their behavior as a way to veil through our own judgments. But again, that's the beta condition. That's why that's where unconditional love comes from. And I don't want to necessarily talk about that for too long, because if we go down that tangent, we could spend another like a half hour. But that that is that's a part of the alpha state, because if you have a superposition when you can elevate your alpha to say, like, OK, everything is. Objective. And I can choose think anything that I want in order to feel any way I want, then when it comes to other people's behavior, knowing that they're neutral, you can always find the thought to accept and love what that person is instead of what they do, because what they do comes from their thoughts, not from what they are. <laughs> Who that person is is not what they do. The, what they do is a manifestation of what they think and what they feel, but that's not who they are. So unconditional love is the acceptance of people as they are in spite of what they do. And knowing that what they do is neutral for you, it, it has no effect on you whatsoever. The only thing that affects you is how you think. But that their behavior isn't bad or good. It's just a manifestation of their emotion which is neither bad nor good and what we talked about before and i think that's a part of stoicism as well is recognizing that feeling bad is not feeling bad there's nothing bad about feeling bad and, and having the balance of emotion like almost wanting to have uncomfortable emotion so that you can balance the comfortable emotion i think a lot of people think that feeling better means feeling good all the Kind of maybe this would be a good place to wrap up, sort of like as a last sort of like nugget of information is like when you develop cognitive mastery, when you learn the skill set of cognitive mastery and emotional ownership, you don't feel good all the time. You just don't feel bad about feeling bad. You recognize exactly. that having those negative emotions is a part of life and they're important for the human experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, I think um, people go ahead, brother. I was, well, was going to say, I think. That Okay. <laughs> you you finish up there, bro. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I think that people wanting to feel good all the time is what leads to those behaviors, like leads to buffering behaviors. Because when we feel bad, we want to avoid feeling bad. So then we go drink some alcohol or eat some sugar or watch some TV. And so that's get into like that entitlement, that emotional entitlement. Like we feel entitled to feel good all the time. Right, so the moment we feel bad, we run to a escape, run to a source of dopamine. And I and, and when we're and when we recognize that feeling bad is not feeling bad, but feeling bad is a part of feeling good, right? It's, it's all neutral. It's really, it's really, it, it's a moment. It's a big jump, brother. Like, it's hard, so hard to explain. But I know you know, and I'm hoping that some of you know the, the guys that are listening in your audience that they pick up some of this and, and recognize that. To hear, to hear it, you will resonate because you know it's truth. Like you will mm -hmm. hear it and there will be some resonance. The, your, your brain will know. It'll, it'll resist, but it'll know. Like this is the truth. But try it to learn it. It's like understanding how a bicycle works versus actually riding one. It's a completely different experience. Yeah, you know, I think everybody will be able to think of a time where they got themselves all upset about something and then later on found out that they misread the situation 
and they got themselves all upset for no reason. If you can find that time, locate that specific example when that happened, you'll get a sense of what we're talking about here. So, okay, well, what if all the times are like that? What if every time I've ever been really upset and not enjoyed being upset, as we talked about, that kind of meta emotion that, like, can you feel good about feeling bad, which is maybe maybe the topic for our next conversation is what does good and bad really mean, you know? Right. Um, the paradox of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, there was, uh, I used to work with drug addicts a lot. And what I came to realize after many years is they're not addicted to the drug because you take that drug away from them, they just find another one. They're very diverse, you know, they, they'll smoke anything, you know. And I was like, well, they're not really addicted to the drug then if they can take anything or everything. I realized, no, it's so obvious right in front of us. They want the feeling that the drug gives them. But there's also a hidden darkness in this. They don't want the feeling that they get when there is no drugs. And that was the problem is they don't want to suffer at all. And if they can, and this is where the best kind of recovery treatment programs focus, how do you get to a point where it's okay to feel everything, where everything is valuable information, where everything is valuable experience, whether it's pain or pleasure is almost irrelevant. It's all part of the tapestry of life. When you can get to that kind of perspective, you don't need to escape from bad feelings. You don't need to seek good ones. You just have whatever ones come up and you work with them and you make the most of them. It's kind of like, I remember, I think I was running a seminar or something and it was one of my first ones since I started coaching and I was nervous, really nervous, but I liked it. I was like, huh, I can't remember a time where I enjoyed anxiety. This might be my first time where I'm enjoying being anxious. I can't explain it because I'm not feeling pleasure. I'm only feeling physically anxiety. But I have no, I'm in no rush to get rid of it. I don't mind if it hangs around. I'm kind of, it's like being on a roller coaster. It's, it's scary, but I don't want to get off. Um, and that was when I realized, hey, there's a deeper level of sensation here. And yeah, you know what? We're just going to keep going forever if we don't stop. So, <laughs> look, yeah, I, wanna... brother, I really do. Yeah. Sure you got a ton of content here. So, you know, whatever you got to do with editing, I, I mean, we've talked for a couple hours. It's beautiful, but let's not make it the last time. Like, this has been great. Lots of fun. Like, I don't do guests, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I'd love to plug your uh, podcast, love to plug your show. I mean, it's just, I think that we, uh, I think that we, it's, Again, everything is for us, right? So it's not a coincidence that you and I are having this conversation. There's something happening. It's always happening for us, right? So there's, I'm looking forward to it, brother. I'm looking forward to a long, uh, a long collaboration, a good friendship there. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I really... Uh, I so appreciate you taking the time um, and, and sharing with, with all of us, I guess I'd say, even though it's just me here right now. I definitely thoroughly enjoy talking to you, um, not just because we agree on some key things, but I like that you've got different terminology. You came about it from a different path, well, similar path, but different context. And you've also got some ways of looking at things that are different to me, which I think is really cool. Um. So yeah, I, this is definitely not the last time that we'll talk. And I just want to share a funny thing with you before we wrap it up. 
I actually went out looking for guests that I might argue with a little bit because <laughs> it's just this weird sort of twist of fate with my podcast. I just find all these people I just really agree with. And I was like, you know, a good podcast might have a bit of conflict or something. Like maybe I need to get into some debates. And I'd been looking into the red pill. It's a community I often get into conflict with. Um, and that's a community where you'll see alpha male term being thrown around a lot. So when I saw your, you had like, I think it's called the alpha male podcast. I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe me and this guy can have a bit of beef about it, <laughs> but we just end up having the exact same view. So that's just too classic for me. You know, um, brother, ironically, but maybe not surprisingly, um, I also have run into some, I wouldn't say conflict because again, like just, it's just a different way of looking at things. Sure. But, you know, me and Magto, I have mentioned them on my podcast before and not in the most, um, not in the most colorful light. And only because I, I believe, and again, I don't know if this is going to be edited out or, or anything, but I believe that Magto has a victim mentality. I actually think the way they think about the world puts them into a disempowered position where they might be looking for support, but what they find is what we're finding now, basically in the media about this virus is like a, a social agreement of the world being against you. And so I, I also have had a, a similar interaction with magto with red pill <laughs> yeah. yeah so i was actually thinking like yeah this is before i even explored your website properly but when i just saw alpha males i like, oh, here we go i need to talk to someone face to face but yeah it turns out we're actually very much on the same page i've had similar we'll call them run-ins um the community reacts uh shall we say conflictedly to disagreement and they've got quite an echo chamber going. So even suggesting alternative ideas, I usually get a backlash. But I've also had some pretty rational, uh, helpful conversations from people within the community. You know, there's a reason that they're in there. They're trying their best. They're looking for the answers. They ended up there. Um, I guess I just sometimes I get concerned that that's not the best place to end up if you're actually trying to get out of that misery. It's more of a place to bathe in it. But you know what? You and I will maybe come back to that. Uh, okay. We've got so much to talk about. If anything, this was just an intro. So once again, thank you so much, bro, um, for your time. It was thoroughly enjoyable. All right, brother. Appreciate you. And thank you for your time. Thanks for spending so much time with me. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you.